0: Section thirty of a failure of initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. A Failure of Initiative Final Report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to Investigate the Preparation for and Response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives. The Military Part One In the early hours of Hurricane Katrina, And without regard to their own safety and in many cases knowing their own homes were probably destroyed these great citizens of louisiana began to go out by helicopter and boat to begin the massive search and rescue operations pulling residents from rooftops out of attics and directly from the water the men and women of the louisiana national guard were there saving thousands of lives major general bennett c landroneau the adjutant general state of louisiana select committee hearing october 27 2005 the military played an invaluable role but coordination was lacking summary the active and reserve components of the united states armed forces have a long and proud history of providing essential aid to the civilian populace of this country in the aftermath of natural disasters there are several reasons the nation continues to rely on the military to perform this role One is that the military is able to provide essential life-saving services more quickly and more comprehensively than any other entity when local and state response capabilities are overwhelmed, including the ability to provide helicopter and boat rescue, shelter, food, water, and medical support. Importantly, much of this capability is vested with the National Guard, and is thus an asset under the control of the governor of each respective state or territory and the District of Columbia. As robust as the military capability is, there are limitations, many of which are highlighted in the specific findings below. The most important limit to the military's ability to manage domestic disaster response is the nation's traditional reliance on local control to handle incident response. The Federal Government, with the Department of Defense DOD, serving as part of the Federal Response Team, takes its directions from State and local leaders. Since that is our nation's tradition, DOD does not plan to be the lead agency in any disaster situation and expects to assist as local authorities request and direct. Furthermore, DOD lacks the detailed knowledge of local conditions, essential to effective relief operations. Even so, the element of the U.S. military with the longest tradition of service, the militia now called the National Guard, is a particularly valuable asset to each state, territory, and the District of Columbia. Units can be called to active duty by the order of the Governor, and serve as the State's chief executive directs. Thus, the National Guard is responsive and will possess knowledge of local conditions. In contrast, the processes by which active military forces are brought to a region are lengthy and burdensome. When they arrive, these forces will not have detailed local knowledge, and will be prohibited by law from performing law enforcement functions. In addition, there will be two distinct military chains of command, one for Federal troops and one for National Guard troops under State command. This dual chain of command structure, lengthy Federal troop activation system, and, in the case of Katrina, devastated local authorities, contributed to a poorly coordinated Federal response to Katrina. It would not be possible to anticipate all problems and prevent all the difficulties that ensued from a storm of this magnitude, but better planning, more robust exercises, and better engagement between active forces and the National Guard both before and during disaster response would have helped prevent human suffering. Two new organizations created after September 11, 2001, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, and DOD's Northern Command, are integral parts of this process, and the growing pains were evident to the select committee. Northern Command is charged with managing the federal military response to disasters, and DHS is in charge of the overall federal effort. Northern Command has taken strides, but needs better integration with FEMA and with the National Guard effort at disasters and emergencies. Clearly, more needs to be done. Even though there were problems, the military played an invaluable role in helping the citizens of Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi respond to the devastation of Katrina and saved countless lives. Indeed, as Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Defense Paul McHale testified, the Department of Defense's response to the catastrophic effects of Hurricane Katrina was the largest military deployment within the United States since the Civil War. There is no doubt DOD resources improved the national response to Katrina. Although trained and equipped for warfighting, There is enough commonality of expertise and equipment that made for a significant military contribution to the majority of emergency support functions, ESFs, of the National Response Plan. DOD is the only federal department with supporting responsibilities in each of the 15 ESFs. The Hurricane Katrina response also reinforced the National Response Plan's designation of the National Guard as the military's first responders to a domestic crisis. In contrast to Hurricane Andrew, 1992, in which National Guard forces constituted 24% of the military response, National Guard forces represented more than 70% of the military force for Hurricane Katrina. Despite the immediacy of required action, confusion created by multi-intergovernmental agency activities and dual military responses, the men and women of the armed services came when they were called, and whether on the ground, in the air, or on the water, they worked extremely hard to save and offer aid to the victims of Hurricane Katrina. There are a number of specific areas where better coordination mechanisms could have greatly improved the execution of military support during Hurricane Katrina. The protocols associated with sharing essential information, the coordinated movement of personnel and equipment, and prior joint planning and training are vital to an effective and comprehensive response. FINDING The National Response Plan's Catastrophic Incident Annex, as written, would have delayed the active duty military response, even if it had been implemented. The National Response Plan, NRP, creates confusion about federal active duty military involvement due to unresolved tension between the possible need for active duty military assistance when state and local officials are overwhelmed and the presumption that a governor will use his or her understanding of the situation on the ground to decide whether and when to ask for active duty military support. A foundational assumption of the NRP's Catastrophic Incident Annex, CIA, is that local and surrounding jurisdictions' response capabilities may be insufficient as they could be quickly overwhelmed by an event. Despite this guiding assumption, NRP-CIA policy assumes that state or local incident command authorities will be able to integrate federal resources into the response effort. The NRP-CIA fails to reflect whether in a catastrophic incident DHS should rely upon the same principle, the presence of local and state first responders for the first 48 to 72 hours of an emergency, as the non-catastrophic incident portion of the NRP. This failure would have delayed the federal military response and prevented full integration of the National Guard and active duty missions, even if the NRC-CIA had been involved. Whether there exists an effective local and state response for the first 48 to 72 hours of a disaster is a critical element in determining the need for and extent of military involvement. Some point out that in cases of a major catastrophe, the President, through the Stafford Act, can designate and deploy federal resources without following NRP procedures. This view does not address if the NRP procedures in place, in the event of a major catastrophe, whether or not the President chooses to federalize the response, are sound. Recognizing that federal resources might be required to augment overwhelmed state and local response efforts, the NRP-CIA establishes protocols to pre-identify and rapidly deploy essential resources that are urgently needed to save lives and contain incidents. Under the NRP-CIA, normal procedures for a number of the emergency support functions, ESF, may be expedited or streamlined to address urgent requirements. These include medical teams, urban search and rescue teams, transportable shelter, medical and equipment caches, and communications gear. Standard procedures regarding requests for assistance may be, under extreme circumstances, temporarily suspended. One of the planning assumptions of the NRP-CIA is that a detailed and credible common operating picture may not be achievable for 24 to 48 hours after the incident. As a result, the NRP-CIA calls for response activities to begin without the benefit of a complete situation and critical needs assessment. Moreover, under this Annex, notification and full coordination with states should not delay or impede the rapid mobilization and deployment of critical federal resources. Finding DOD and DHS coordination was not effective during Hurricane Katrina. The Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Defense share responsibility for ensuring the security and safety of America. Since the establishment of DHS after 9-11, both departments have sought to define their roles and responsibilities. McHale testified at a recent Congressional hearing that he was the Defense Department's principal liaison with DHS. A memorandum of understanding between DHS and DOD assigned 64 DOD personnel to DHS to fill critical specialties, principally in the areas of communications and intelligence. There is also a Homeland Defense Coordination Officer at DHS headquarters, as well as around-the-clock DOD presence in the DHS Homeland Security Operations Center. Despite these efforts to integrate operations, GAPS REMAINED IN DOD AND DHS COORDINATION. DURING A BRAC COMMISSION HEARING CONDUCTED AUGUST 11, 2005, A COMMISSIONER ASKED PETER F. VERGA, PRINCIPAL DEPUTY ASSISTANT SECRETARY OF DEFENSE, HOMELAND DEFENSE, OF THE EXISTENCE OF ANY DOCUMENT ISSUED BY DHS THAT WOULD HELP DOD DETERMINE THE REQUIREMENTS FOR MILITARY ASSISTANCE TO CIVILIAN AUTHORITIES. VERGA REPLIED, TO MY KNOWLEDGE, NO SUCH DOCUMENT EXISTS. On August 30th, an email generated in the office of the Secretary of Defense, OSD, indicated concern about the flow of information between DOD and FEMA and a lack of understanding of what was an official request for assistance and what was not. Another email from DHS to DOD on this day indicated Secretary Chertoff was requesting updated information on the levees in New Orleans, shelter information, and search and rescue missions DOD was performing. The OSD response expressed wonder at why DHS was asking for this information, as FEMA had not yet even generated requests for these missions for DOD. Communications between DOD and DHS, and particularly FEMA, during the immediate week after landfall, reflect a lack of information sharing, near panic, and problems with process. As time went on and FEMA and DOD worked out requests for assistance (RFAs), communications and information sharing did improve. These problems are indicative of a dispute between DoD and DHS that still lingers. DoD maintains it honored all FEMA requests for assistance in the relief effort, refusing no missions. FEMA officials insist that notwithstanding the official paper trail, DoD effectively refused some missions in the informal coordination process that preceded an official FEMA request. Therefore, when DoD thought a mission was inappropriate, FEMA simply did not request the assistance from DoD. The reliance of FEMA on DOD during the Hurricane Katrina response, although not anticipated in scope, became, at its most basic, a takeover of FEMA's responsibilities as the Logistics Manager for the Federal response. According to Secretary McHale, during Katrina the Federal military remained under FEMA's control. It meant that the Defense Department, which had the resources to appraise the situation and prioritize its missions more quickly than could FEMA, actually drafted its own requests for assistance and sent them to FEMA which copied them and sent them back to the Department of Defense for action. FINDING DOD, FEMA, and the State of Louisiana had difficulty coordinating with each other, which slowed the response. The process for requesting DOD active duty forces has several layers of review and is understandably not well understood or familiar to State officials who rarely would need to request DOD support. Even though State officials do not routinely work with DOD, requests for DOD assistance are generated at the State level. These go from the State to FEMA's Federal Coordinating Officer, FCO, who in turn requests assistance from the Defense Coordinating Officer, DCO. The DCO passes these requests on to the Joint Task Force, which routes them through Northern Command to the Office of the Secretary of Defense Executive Secretariat, to the Joint Directorate of Military Support, on the Joint Staff. At each stage, the request is validated to ensure it can be met and that it is legal to provide the assistance. Once vetted, the request is tasked to the services and coordinated with Joint Forces command, and forces or resources are then allocated to the Joint Task Force, which in turn gets the support down to the user level by way of the DCO. This process is in place not only to satisfy DOD internal requirements, but to ensure maximum coordination with both FEMA and the State. DOD's process for receiving, approving, and executing missions was called bureaucratic by Louisiana officials. Despite the multiple layers of paperwork requirements described above, the select committee could not definitively determine the origin of the request for DOD to provide active duty forces. Louisiana officials said their Adjutant General made the request directly of General Russell L. Honore, without coordinating the request through FEMA, the established process to request all federal assistance. This request outside of normal channels may reflect frustration with the bureaucratic process. Current FEMA FCO Scott Wells told select committee staff this direct state request to DOD was indicative of Louisiana not having a unified command during Katrina and created coordination problems during the response and recovery efforts. Without a unified command, the system for requests for assistance was difficult. This difficulty was compounded by the scarcity of telephone communication capability remaining in Louisiana, resulting in a communications choke point at the EOC in Baton Rouge, where the telephone was continuously busy. Prior to the arrival of Honoré, senior FEMA officials were unable to get visibility on their requests. For example, former Undersecretary for Emergency Preparedness and Response and FEMA Director Michael Brown testified that he did not know what happened to some of his requests for assistance. While DOD officials testified in October that DOD was leaning forward and taking quick action prior to Katrina's landfall, FEMA officials said the DOD process appeared cumbersome. Louisiana Governor Blanco's Chief of Staff, Andy Coplin, said DOD was, in his opinion, slow and overly bureaucratic. It appears that although DOD may have been doing the best it could with the system it had, Hurricane Katrina was of such magnitude that more rapid response was necessary. Although acknowledging that General Honoré operated outside normal FEMA-led channels, FEMA FCO William Loki praised him for getting things done that Louisiana and FEMA could not. End of section 30.